0: How does one need to show up in order to create a context for people to be the best versions of themselves and do their best work? What are the practical skills and tools that boost one's practice of leadership in order to do that?
1: These are the challenges that we as leadership practitioners approach every day as we observe and coach people in all kinds of roles, in all levels of organizations, and at organizations of various sizes.
0: In this podcast, we'll share our experiences, the experiences of the people we support, and what we see as working. I'm Jonathan Rosenblatt.
1: And I'm Marlene Jabrowski. Welcome to the Leadership Practitioner Podcast. Hey, JR.
0: Hey, Marlene.
1: So today we have a guest.
0: I love it when we have guests.
1: So let's do a little bit of introduction. Hey, Marlene. Hey, JR.
2: Hello. Hello. Uh, so my name is Alistair Smith, and I'm a leadership development uh, coach and facilitator.
1: Thank you so much for joining us, Alistair. Today, we're going to talk a little bit about that fascination that you have uh, for human creativity, human development, um, and, and that, that, that profound interest in, in the mindset of forward thinking.
2: It's one of the things that uh, has propelled us as a species, both for good and ill, I'll say. Uh, And that is our ability to imagine uh, a different way, a different possibility. Uh, A coach friend of mine has this great line. She says that, Tremblay, she says uh, that coaching is really about presenting uh, uh, creating a container where people can see they have other alternatives and I think that's in part what I mean by this forward thinking this forward thinking mindset that allows us to actually see even if it's only in our own mind at the moment a new possibility and then to work towards that to f- see the steps and imagine the steps as opposed to and in contrast with finding ourselves stuck in the problem or the drama around the problem.
0: Mm-hmm. You know, Alistair, when, when we do a lot of the leadership practitioner work and, and we talk about one of the more more important practices of shifting mindset, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and you mentioned this problem-focused mindset So in the spirit of a leadership practitioner, like someone who is coming in to create a a context for people to be the best version of themselves, why do you think it's so important for that person to have this forward-thinking mindset rather than like kind of more of that problem-solving mindset and and, and kind of bring that into the context?
2: Yeah. So I'll, I'll start with, I think... I think there's a time and a place for everything in that sense, right? So there's a time to be sad, a time to, you know, as the wisdom tradition teaches, is a time to be sad. There's a time for, for tears and, uh, and and happiness. and And so there are times when actually it is really the best thing for me at the moment is just to be here in the present. And being here in the present is not going to be moving me forward into any new possibilities. So this mindset of, Switching into so, what do I want to have happen? What would it look like if that becomes the way forward? Ironically enough, that becomes the way for us to imagine and to work towards a new possibility. So, as a leader and as a a leadership practitioner, to be checking with myself, am I, what's my mindset? Am I, wanting to move forward here? Is it time to move forward? And if so, what is that going to look like?
1: Interesting. You said something right at the beginning that I think you've begun to unpack. It's that idea that you said sort of for good and for ill, like for Mm. good and for bad. I'm wondering if you could unpack that a little further. We just talked a bit about, from a leadership perspective, the good aspect of it or the positive aspect of it, and I'm wondering when you mention that idea of mindfulness, that that might be connected to the idea of where it's not necessarily the right time and place for forward thinking.
2: It's a cool question. In terms of where I was going about good or ill, I can imagine a future and I could choose to work towards a future that might be good for me, but for no one else, or might be good for people who look like me, but not other people. Nazism was imagining a thousand-year Reich. Right. Very forward. Right? That's, that's a forward-thinking way of, uh, of, of, of... And not so good for lots of other people. So I wouldn't... Uh, I would always couch, and, and I'm very conscious of couching where I'm going here, with what is it that... What's the future that we're imagining? And, and, and is that a future for the greatest good for all concerned, which happens to be my ethic on these things, the greatest good for all concerned, uh, uh, or is that the greatest good for me? Uh, And raising up the mindfulness, that's a really interesting connection, Marlene. So, So, because mindfulness is actually, for me, this is the way I would think about it, mindfulness is about being very, very present with the present. And it's It's coming out of that kind of practice that I believe that we're able to actually imagine those kinds of futures that are about the greatest good for all concerned,
1: Mm -hmm.
2: much more effectively than just making stuff up as I go.
1: Right, because it gives you ground to stand on. Mm -hmm. Yet we know that when mindfulness is taken to an extreme, a kind of easygoing with all outcomes, and in its extreme form, mindfulness, when it stops being mindfulness harnessed to a future, creating the conditions for other people to show up as the best versions of themselves, creating the conditions for other people to find all the good things in life. Mindfulness in that context stops being mindfulness and it starts looking something a little bit more like sociopathy, right? Yeah. Like like in an extreme form. So you, you can be okay with all outcomes as long as the conditions have created where everybody else would be okay with those outcomes as well. The moment it becomes for me, mm-hmm. just for me, mm-hmm. then we stop being leaders right. and we start, well, we start being narcissists is what we start doing.
0: <laughs> I'm wondering how... When, you, when you're evaluating a situation, when you're, again, because we're, we have that hat on of creating a context for others to be the best versions of themselves, how do you know or what, is, what are some of the questions that you might ask yourself to kind of do a, a, a pulse check on, hey, like, it, it, is my thinking here about me or is my thinking here about others? like what, what what could you use to help yourself diagnose that or really pinpoint it before you know you inadvertently choose to create conditions that only serve yourself
2: so frankly as 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 you've just put it JR, that whose interest am I thinking about here am i am I is it just about me or or are others uh, another variation on that theme would be what can I imagine the downstream impact on other people is going to be what's the uh well, actually, that question, what's the greatest good for all concerned, which can actually have a bit of a limiting impact on, on, on my thinking, right? That, that I may not go to a degree X, I may be X minus five, because I want to bring all concerned along, if that makes some sense. I can't move too quickly because I need to move with this group of people.
1: When you when you brought up the idea of sort of the twentieth century example of you know like futurism, I mean Mm -hmm. the the word that comes to my mind is like twentieth century futurism, that movement coming out of the nineteen twenties and nineteen thirties that absolutely was scooped up and used by continental fascism. And Mm -hmm. where it was, was this idealism, right? The future was this ideal and you had to get there. And it, 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 it lent itself to kind of autocracy and the needs of the few. If I'm hearing you right, it's the check is the needs of the many or the needs of more than the few, as opposed to a kind of rigid idealism where we're going to the future because the future, you get this in 20th century early technology as well, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Like that kind of the cult of engineering where we end up with cityscapes that become very inhumane because we're buying into the idea of future for future's sake. You know, the Jetsons writ large Mm -hmm. become the future for future's Mm -hmm. sake. And then we lose the humanity of like, well, what happens to our neighborhoods? What happens to our people under those expressways? And I'm wondering, am I on the same page of where, where you're going?
2: Yeah, I, I, I think so. I think so. And it, for me, one of the huge challenges then for us working inside of corporations, working inside of organizations, working inside of, dare I say, the capitalist system, right, is that we're not really taught, we're not really trained to think about anything but the success of the organization, or my own personal success. I'm just off a call, for example, where we we're talking about the relationship between uh, the corporate ladder and a corporate lattice, which to me, this the, the, the ladder, the corporate, the corporate lattice is probably closer to where we're at in the current milieu, uh, that it is okay, actually, not to necessarily have to climb over the proverbial backs of my colleague, but it's it's moving across so that I can learn, you know, bringing Carol Dweck's work around the, the growth mindset, All right? Well, yeah, but I I made I, I can go across and learn as much as growing as going up and learning there. So uh, that to me is where it gets really interesting, particularly as leadership practitioners. How do we take this ethic of bringing in this more human, broadly human, broadly creative way of thinking into an environment that is really quite a small box pushing us in particular direction.
1: And I mean, we often tie back for some of our listeners who who have done really well in the systems that they're operating within and the mm-hmm. systems that they're operating within encourage people, like create the conditions that encourage people sometimes to behave in that what we're going to call that narrower view, the kind of, the, the more immediate or, or the more ideal, you know, the, the, the end, the end justifies the means. Right. Mm-hmm. And what we say to those listeners often kind of runs along the lines of if we were 20th century manufacturing and the problem we were trying to solve was a, uh, perhaps it, it it might be a difficult problem, but it's nevertheless not a complex problem, then you can get away with that, hmm. right? Like the, in certain aspects, um, authoritarian approaches to problem solving is highly effective and highly efficient as long as you have a non-complex problem. But the moment you've got complexity, you have to solve for odds are really good. There's no one who's got the expertise to solve the problem on their own. Consequently, you need to tap into diversity right this is this is this is sort of a a kind of an argument for people who are like yeah marlene but you know we have to be managers we have to be vice presidents you know we have to do our jobs and within those systems we can say with with great deal of legitimacy if you are trying to solve complex problems you can't do that alone you need to be able to co-create your solutions. And if you don't create a context where other people can come together and co-create with you, you'll be trapped in your own, your only ability will be to solve the maybe very difficult, but nevertheless, not complex or even complicated kinds of problems. So So now, that's why. (laughs) We don't buy into all of this, but we want a healthier, happier world for all of us. Even if you are like, no, I will exclude that from my thinking. Sorry, man, you still got to come here because otherwise, you can't solve twenty first century problems that you are going to have to solve.
2: Yeah. Exactly. exactly uh, you know and, and, and the, the connect I'm you know making connections to um, uh, to Ron Heifetz's work uh, and Sharon Dale's parks works around uh, adaptive challenges and technical challenges right uh, that's that that really seminal work is very important I'm also just curious about this uh, this idea about efficiency. my dad taught me this a gazillion years ago about and I'm fascinated by how this word has changed over the decades. So when my dad was uh was in his career a long time ago, back in the 60s and 70s, he uh he taught me that there's a difference between the word efficient between the meaning of the word efficiency and the meaning of the word effective.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Right? Uh that I can be efficient but not effective. <laughs> uh I can be effective but not efficient in that sense. Um, and what I am concerned about in lots of leadership practices and, and, and the work of leaders is that we're finding ourselves where, finding ourselves in times and places where efficiency is conflated with, with effectiveness, that, that, that we actually think that as long as I can make it efficient, it'll be effective. And that's not the case. That's not the case.
0: And so is that, is that the opportunity where you kind of look at, uh, you know, in, in, the futures that you were imagining or, or the conditions where you make it possible to imagine futures, is that where you start thinking about what is effective and what is efficient?
2: Yeah. I, I just had a little bit of an insight there with that question, Jr. Thank you. Right. Um, as we say in coaching, that great clarifying question, uh, um, Yeah, that that maybe that's that's a huge part of of my own work now, right? Is is that's what I'm trying to trying to do is at at some level just hold up the difference between those two, contrast and compare those two, and what's going on in my life as a as a leadership practitioner? What's going on in the you know are we pushing too hard on efficiency? Where what will make this effective?
1: We're just nodding, all yeah. three of us. We're just yeah, sitting yeah. here nodding. I guess it's profound, man. I want to go back for a
0: second, um, Alistair, to the part where you're talking about, um, you know, the the all the connections and then the human aspect of these, and um, kind of thinking about when, as a leadership practitioner, again, you're bringing in, you have this this forward thinking mindset that you're infusing into the context. How, in your experience, have you seen that, if at all, bring people together like what does it what effect does the leadership practitioner's mindset the leadership practitioner's forward thinking mindset what does that do to the people or how does that influence the people who are in the context
2: there's a there's a all sorts of examples coming into mind. Uh, for example, Satya at Nadella at Nadella uh, at Microsoft. For example, um, and and the shift from, uh, and you may re- recall this, uh, 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 Jr. Um, that there was a time at Microsoft where it was about know-it-alls, and what Satya uh, has inspired and described and outlined this Maybe vision's too strong a word, but this 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 image of learn it-alls, right? And and that there's a there's a cultural shift required inside the organization. And so, like any other shift, you've got a bell curve of you know the, the people who go right away, the people who wait a little bit, right? And then the people who say, No, I'm a know-it-all, and you know, read between the lines kind of thing. <laughs> uh, uh, and, uh, and self-select out, right? So there's there's that. Another. So I think the the Microsoft example is an, an interesting one, um, although it has been given a certain um, raised eyebrow response in more recent years. I think uh, President Obama's work about uh, uh, about hope and about possibility, and yes, we can, as the "Will I Am" song said at the time, right? That that the um, uh, that that transformed, at least for a time, uh, and I'm not a political scientist, so I won't go any farther than that. But uh, but it transformed for a time uh, and galvanized a very large portion of the of the U.S. electorate to, and and people who weren't voting. Right. Lots and lots of people got into. I'm a Canadian. I got to do it. Right. <laughs> uh, hey, that's cool. Um, so those those are two examples of positives. Um, I think any time that a uh, that a leader, whether that's the, at the CEO level, the executive level or whether that's in charge of a team, is able to to articulate a forward image, an image that is compelling and intriguing. That's magic. Can can I can I offer another one, too? And this this has been one that I've worked with a lot over the years. So William Bridges and his idea about ending neutral zone and new beginning. So transitions as opposed to changes and and and, uh, Bridges talked about how every transition involves an ending and then there's a neutral zone and then there's a new beginning. And, uh, he was teaching this in New York and it's a great story that he used to tell. He wrote a little booklet about it actually. And a rabbi came up to him and said, Bill, this is great. You just need to know it's old school. And, uh, says, well, what are you talking about? He says, well, we've been taught, we've been telling this story for, you know, 4,500 years, or whatever, uh, and bridges says well what are you talking about he says well there's this group called the Israelites and they're trying to escape from the Egyptians and they're running across the desert being chased by the Pharaoh's horses and men they get to the Red Sea Moses goes Yikes what are we going to do Which is a direct translation from the Hebrew uh, <laughs> anyway they cross on the Red Sea they cross they, they, they cross they cross the Red Sea they get to the other side here's the important piece so for all of the uh, all of the wonderings about what this might mean when the Red Sea closes on on the Pharaoh's horse and men, for and men, the Israelites can't go back. It's an ending, hmm. right? And so they go into the wilderness, which is Bridge's neutral zone. They go into the wilderness, and they're there, you know, like for for forty years, or you know, the next generation. What you know, all the various ways it's described in the text. But what's important about this? For, for our work here, is Moses, Miriam, and Aaron keep talking about what the promised land will look like. That's what moves the group forward. That's what moves the people forward. That we're moving to a land of milk and honey, right? That, we ha- that we're trying to get, we're leaving this behind and we're trying to get here and we're going to do this with as many of us as we possibly can because we are all important.
1: So now I'm going to be I'm going to be someone in that group. Yeah. And you see me, I'm waving my hand. I'm going to put my hand up yeah. and I'm going to say, "Okay, leader. Okay. Okay, group. But but if we don't if we don't look back at our past mm-hmm. and learn from our mistakes, mm-hmm. aren't we destined to repeat them? Mm-hmm. What, do you say to, what do you say to that?
2: That's one of the important pieces of why that story is written down. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> and we retell the story because we need to keep learning from it. Right. We carry forward with us. This is one of the things. This is such an amazing story. I urge everybody, regardless of where on the religious spectrum you might find yourself. Look at this story. Read about this story. The Israelites carry with them the bones of Joseph, who was the guy who got them into Egypt in the first place, (laughs) right? So they honor the past, but they don't dwell on it.
1: Honor, but don't dwell.
0: Hence the difference between a problem-focused mindset and a a solution-focused or forward-thinking mindset.
1: Okay, so here, here I am, that person in the pack. Yep. Right? Yep. My hand's still. Our up. Main. go <laughs> ahead. <laughs> <laughs> <Okay. Right? laughs> so tactically, what does honor but not dwell look like?
2: So first off, we have to be really, really clear. I believe about what the problem is that we're trying to solve. So we may have to invest some time, some uh, some energy into what is the challenge. Tactically, there's a a really simple way of of setting that up, and that is the famous dilemma statement. So I want dot, 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 but dot, dot, dot. Try and describe the the challenge that you're facing in that equation. I want this, but that. And what it forces us to do is to get really clear about what we want and some clarity about what we don't want. That's one way of doing it. Other ways of doing it are things like um, uh, discerning your way through uh, uh, strategic planning tools like pestles and SWATs and those kinds of things. So what what exactly are the weaknesses? What exactly are the opportunities? Those, Those kinds of things. And then name it. This is where we're trying to go. And we're trying to move from this point to this point. We don't need to hear more story about what it was like at point A. We need to start focusing now on point B.
1: Can you unpack for us what the naming it does for us?
2: Well, uh, there's a couple of different things going there. Naming it is a uh, a really important part of getting uh of getting clarity in an easily remembered way. So where I'm going with that is that we need to be able to say, here's where we're going. Here's where we were. But if we just gave it a name, you could, you could even say, you know, here wh- where we're going is... Uh, is jr we just name it jr right uh
0: like i've never had a name uh, (laughs) i've never had a place named after me
2: yeah like or uh, i i always loved the fact that the bare naked ladies their first album was called gordon (laughs) (laughs) because they needed you would need a name for the album okay we'll name the album gordon (laughs) Um, but it keeps it easily remembered
1: I I wonder, as you were talking, I just had a spark go off. And so I just want to throw this idea out there and see what you guys think about this. Back to that idea of where we're creating the conditions, not just for our ideas to thrive, but we're trying to create the conditions to allow the co-creation of ideas. When I name it, it's a chance for you to say, yeah, Marlene, maybe not Gordon. How about Susan? (laughs) Yes. And, And by naming it, I'm being succinct enough to give you an opportunity to tweak, to change, to offer another possibility. So it, it it does lots of things tactically.
2: It it does. You're you're exactly right, Marlene. The caveat that I'll add in here is that uh, as a this is where it's important that leaders leaders have a little at least a little hint of humility. What I mean by that is that um, as uh, a couple of friends of mine have, have named ideas are like children. We like our own best. <laughs> and, and so if as a leader I'm presenting an idea, so my idea is we name it Gordon and you come back to me and say, oh, no, I think it should be Susan. We could be finding ourselves in a rather binary place. What is it about Susan that is so important for you as a name? What is it about Gordon that's so important for me? Let's, let's have a conversation about that. So I, particularly as a leader, I need to be able to engage in the conversation about why Susan would be a good name and not Gordon, and not just say, autocratically, to go back 20 minutes Mm -hmm. in the conversation, well, that's just the way it is. I'm the boss.
1: Maybe we could get, you know, we could use that as an opportunity to unpack the what of it, like the what and the why, and not get so bogged down in the how.
2: Yeah, exactly.
1: And and then we could probably find common ground around what is what is my intent such that Susan is popping out of my mouth and what is your intent such that Gordon is popping out of yours and then in that space that could be the common ground of co-creation.
0: Oh, yeah. What I really like about the way that y- y- you guys are talking about it is it sounds like that space that w- you're you're talking about because we're, we're discussing a future possibility, we're talking about something that hasn't yet happened, and the way that you're positioning, you know, the whether it's the children or whether it's the what, you know, why, what is it for me, it, it almost sounds like you're intentionally creating the space, or, or a safe space where you can dance around with these ideas, because it's the future, it hasn't yet happened. So in theory, anything's possible.
1: Ah, yeah. That's nice, JR. Yeah. Yeah. Past has happened. Can't change it. And at the moment we go into the past, we lock ourselves into what was and then it often becomes a well, you know, it becomes blame, it becomes all these emotions that don't serve us. Right. But when we stay focused on future, we're focusing on openness, possibility and and a kind of limitlessness. I don't know, JR, how would you tie that back?
0: So to me, if you're talking about limitlessness, then you're ideally, again, in the way that you're talking about it, in the way that you're choosing to explore curiously, in the way that you're choosing to share information, ideally you would be doing it in such a way where, because it hasn't happened yet, right? Then it's safe to talk about whatever, right? And to present ideas as you perceive them because they haven't happened yet. And so by inviting such conversation but and, and specifically creating the space to have such conversation, you're basically giving permission, and I hate to say giving permission, but it's almost like making the permission explicit that anything goes. And so, hey, share so that we can move forward in a way that best serves all of us rather than me necessarily, kind of like how I asked at the beginning, rather than me necessarily having to
2: decide, does this serve me? Does this serve everybody? What do you think about that? Uh, I think it's a really great way of thinking about it, and there is a freedom, I think, uh, as well. I just echo that there is a freedom in that kind of thinking about possibility, without getting locked in, right? Like the I am just reflecting here on on a couple of creative people that I know who one's a a lyricist, uh, and and he he talks about it takes him about twenty minutes to get into it. But once he's into it, the possibilities are uh, just kind of take over because he's not overthinking it. He's not dwelling, to use your language, Marlene. He's not getting hung up on that blame and stuff, right? He's just trying it out.
1: I'm hearing that distinction between effectiveness and efficiency there too. (laughs) You know, that, that 20 minutes to get into it, Someone in that zone might go, whoa, this isn't very efficient, but my goodness, is it effective? Because yeah. having invested, it, it, it pays back. It pays back on the creativity of, of having taken that time. Yeah, that's great. One
0: last question for yeah. you, Alistair, mm-hmm. is that when I think about, when I think again about creating context for people to be the best versions of themselves, how... Do you, as a leadership practitioner, how do you invite people around you? How do you invite them to share a forward-thinking mindset? Other than you obviously like show, you know, Marlene and I talk a lot about show rather than tell, but mm-hmm. what are some ways in which you've seen invitation really show up for this kind of mindset?
2: You know, I think I, I think show rather than tell is is absolutely vital on this. And and I'll just hold up that word invitation. Come and join me. Come and join us. A friend of mine, people would come. Uh, it was a not-for-profit. People would come and and they'd have ideas. And uh, he would never quash an idea. He'd always say, oh, "Well, let's 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 think about that." But he had this guiding rule: the three or more people came to him with relatively the same idea. Ah, now we got something. <laughs> So, so he, so paying attention to where the people around you, what they're thinking, and and then capturing that, pulling that, and in, inviting other people into that. So it's about showing this. It's about inviting, and it's about paying attention to the ideas that are populating around in your team.
1: I'm watching your body language while you talk about this, mm-hmm. and I'm watching you sort of. Uh, mime. You know, being that leader, and and there's a sense of of literally creating the spaciousness around you, <laughs> a concretization of creating the context where other people are invited. Not just sort of, you know, I received an invitation, but it wasn't very welcoming. But I, but I get that physical sense of the leader investing that that leadership practitioner is someone who invests in who spends time. In all the ways, the body language, the facial expressions, the gestures, the choice of words to, to make that an inviting context.
2: Thank you. Thanks, Marlene. Yeah, I, I think we do ourselves a disservice if we're simply sending emails out.
1: <laughs> so, Alistair, is there any uh, bit that you want to pick up on to? this conversation feel complete.
2: Yeah. So one last image that I think is really, really, uh, it's a a profound one for me. So I'll just share it with you. And that is the idea of a nurse log. So a nurse log in in an old growth forest, uh, we don't have many of them left, but in an old forest, you come upon a log. And that log is because the tree fell because it struck by lightning or whatever the reason is, this old tree has fallen. And so it's on the ground. Pay attention to what's growing out of that log because there's always new life. And that's why it's called a nurse log. It's literally a nursery for, for new plant life, whether that be uh, uh, moss or a new tree or whatever. There's always something. And I like to think about that for organizations, that as leaders, we want to be paying attention for the new ideas, the new possibilities that are already among us. Pay attention to those, water them, (laughs) nurture them, because that's where the next generation of your organization is going to come from.
0: Amazing. Thank you for that. Thank you. Thank
2: you.
1: Thank you for listening to the Leadership Practitioner podcast.
0: We invite you to share your thoughts on this episode and your thoughts on how you practice leadership.
1: Join us in the Leadership Practitioner Connection, our community of like-minded practitioners who aspire to create a context for people to be the best versions of themselves and do their best work.
0: You can find it at leadershippractitioner.org connection.
1: This podcast is listener supported. If you find value in what you've just heard, please consider supporting us.
0: Monthly subscriptions start at $0.